with our God. We shall be valiant. All because of Christ who's gone before us and won the victory and now shares that victory with his saints. That's the confidence that David discovered personally and also knew from God's word. 2 Samuel 22, page 322 in your pew Bibles. Page 322, as we continue our way through Samuel, we get to the end. Remember a collection of six passages. The two outside passages are stories of sin and atonement. The two middle passages, list of warriors and wars military records, and then the two inside stories, songs of victory. So we're in that first inside story, song, David's song of victory. 322, 2 Samuel 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies for the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I called. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry came to his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of the heavens trembled and quaked because he, God, was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth glowing coals flamed forth from him he bowed the heavens and came down thick darkness was under his feet he rode on a cherub and flew he, he was seen on the wings of the wind he made darkness around him his canopy thick clouds a gathering of water out of the brightness before him coals of fire flamed forth the Lord thundered from heaven and the most high uttered his voice he sent out arrows and scattered them lightning and routed them then the channels of the sea were seen the foundations of the world were laid bare at the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils he sent from on high he took me he drew me out of many waters He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and from his statutes I did not turn aside. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. And the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness in his sight. This is God's word. May we be blessed and he be honored as we open this word together. Holy Spirit. Be present. People of God, 
the Holy Spirit's arrangement is really important. Remember the middle two stories in these last six are lists of wars and warriors, heroes, and their accomplishments. The mighty men of David, the four who struck down the giants as we read last time. Lots of human power and effort among God's people fighting for his kingdom. And then inside you have two songs of praise to God for his power and might and victory. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ through his servant David teaching us, yes, people of God, you are servants in Christ's kingdom. You're soldiers of the cross. You are God's fighters. You are Christ's little heroes. And you can count on God when you fight the good fight of the faith to bless you. But don't put any confidence in your own fighting in your own authority and power and strength or in your own armor. And don't boast in yourself for what you've done. But learn from David. To God belongs all the glory for all the victories in all the battles he has ever fought. His victory over Saul and the Philistines and all the enemies. To God be all the glory. Let us always remember that. The victory is Christ's. The battle is the Lord's. And we fight. We're kingdom fighters. We're kingdom soldiers. But there's no strength. And there's no power in us. It's all from the Lord. We see, first of all, how David called on the Lord, and then how the Lord came, and thirdly, how he rescued David. And then in the last half of the psalm, how he exalted him and gave him victory. So it starts with God saving David. And not just once, many times, for he was confronted with death over and over, as David one time said to Jonathan, I tell you the truth, there's just one step between me and death. Well, that's the way his whole life really was. And ours. So first, David called. These words of 2 Samuel 22 are also recorded in Psalm 18. You'll see there's almost no variation between these two. When did David speak or sing? write this song. It says in verse 1, after the Lord delivered David from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of David, or from the hand of Saul. Now that covers a lot of battles, a lot of strength and a lot of victories from David. Saul has slain his thousands, David his tens of thousands. But when it's all over, David looks back on it all. His many troubles and battles and victories. And what does he say? What does he say? What does he speak to the Lord? And then the Lord writes down and speaks to us to remind us. What does David, it says, speak to the Lord. Thank you, God. 
That's the, the final word of David's reign, his whole reign. Thank you, God. This is your doing. It's your power. It's your grace. It's your goodness. It's your love to me and to Israel. It's your strength. It's your victory. It's like watching a movie. Watching the movie of David's life. And at the end, the credits scroll down. And there's one name. God. That's it. God. And really you see the title of the psalm in the first two verses. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. That's just the title. A long title for a psalm. And 11 times he uses I, me, and my. You would say, well, that's sort of man-centered. David's talking about himself. Oh, no. It's covenantal language. He's talking about himself in relation to his God. I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He's my refuge, my comfort. I'm not my own. This is glory to God. All these I, me. See, there's a way to say I, me, and my, which is glory to me. There's a way to say I, me, and my, which is all glory to God. And that's what he does. My fortress. And then all these strong words to describe God. Rock, fortress, deliver. And every word in the Hebrew is a different one. In English, some of them are repeated. But they're all different. They're similar. But they all emphasize the unshakable safety that God is for those who call on him. I like the word horn, the horn of my salvation. Like an ox with big horns, goring its enemies, lifting him up and throwing him out of the arena. That's my God. Whatever you face, dear people of God, he's got you covered. Run to him. Those are our greatest sins. Doubting God's strength for us. And so we don't call out to him. We try to muddle through it alone. Or being too proud and saying, I'm not one who needs help. Others do, but I'm tough. I can handle this. David can't. Not in any one of his battles was he ever sufficient. So that's the title. And then verse 4 is the theme of the song. I, will, I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised. And I'm saved from my enemies. I called. He heard. He came. And he saved. Then the rest of the psalm is the story until the conclusion. A wide lens angle on the story of David's entire reign. And in the verses that come, he cries from a place of deep anguish and trouble and need. Look at those verses. The waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of death assailed me. The cords, the cords of Sheol strangled or entangled me. The snares of death 
confronted me. Troubles just roll over him. Trouble after trouble after trouble like the previous passage. And there was war again and there was war again and there was war again. Sometimes he feels like he's drowning in water and he can't get his breath. Sometimes he feels like there's a death cord, like a noose, strangling him and he's about ready to choke and die. Sometimes he feels like he's caught in a snare. That's the third image there. Whose draws have grabbed his whole life and he can't get out and he's going to die. This is David in crisis and panic and fear and desperation. So imagine, that's the way he felt when the lion and bear came to attack him and his sheep when, when he was a shepherd boy. And that's the way he felt when Goliath came roaring at him. And when Saul was angry and threw his spear at him. And when Achish, the king of Gath, was going to seize him. And so he, he faked insanity. Or when his own men threatened to stone him. Remember when the Amalekites came and took all their wives and children. They were going to stone him. That's the way he felt. Or when he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and Nathan came to visit him and his whole successful world came crashing in upon him and he thought, I am dead. It's over. In my distress, verse 7, I called upon the Lord to my God I called sometimes we view David as the tough guy who just says hey we got this let's go get him every time a new enemy comes you know what it's the opposite every time a new enemy comes he says we don't got this I'm drowning in weakness and anxiety And every time he's got to run to my hiding place, help me, help me, oh Lord. I'm drowning. I'm trapped. I'm stuck. I can't get out. I can't do this. Have you ever felt this way? The trouble is sickness. The trouble is family. Trouble is Satan's accusations. The trouble is temptation. The trouble is sin. The trouble is the persecution of the world. The people at school or at work who taunt you and hate you. And you know that faith is not strength. Saying we got this. Faith is weakness saying we don't got this. Let's run to the Lord. That's what Paul says. And then when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Well, let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you cry out to the Lord in your distress? I mean, in serious anguish and crisis, like this is going to kill me. You really see, do I really see that that's how weak I am? And do I believe the promise of the Lord Jesus? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give, give you rest. Do we 
come to him. Maybe you've never come to him. And you don't know the Lord Jesus in a personal way at all. You've always handled your troubles or tried to on your own in your own strength. In apparent self-sufficiency. Or maybe you're stuck in a spot right now where you've not been crying out because you, it's just the trouble is so disturbing you don't even know what to say. Cry out. Call upon the Lord. He will save you from your enemies. Because when you're weak, that's when you're strong. And that's what we see secondly. God came. As Jamie Soul sings, Jesus to the rescue. You read that in the next verse. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came to his ears. Imagine that. No matter where you call to God from in faith. Maybe it's calling to his tabernacle on earth. Or maybe to his headquarters in heaven. Your cry will find its way to God's ears. Be assured of it. Not because your cry is so perfectly stated. Or so loud, but because God's ears are so good and his heart is so loving. To all who call on him sincerely in their time of need. My cry came to his ears. Your cry, brothers and sisters, whether it's a soft whimper or a loud shout. It's, it's not out into the nowhere. When you cry to the God of the Bible. You cry out to Jesus Christ, his son. Do you believe that your voice is heard? And then look at what happens when God hears. My cry came to his ears. And then look at verses 8 and following. There's a cosmic upheaval. Heaven and earth go crazy. When God springs into action. Go through the pictures a moment. Verse 8. The earth reeled and rocked. The foundations of heaven trembled. And God is very angry. And then smoke, verse 9, blows out of his nose. Fire comes streaming out of his mouth. And glowing coals blaze from his presence. Wow, what a God. You think of God this way? Verse 10, the heavens are arching under the pressure of his descent to come down, break through to earth and rescue David and Israel. And then verses 11 through 13, there's a deep, dark canopy all around him with bright, glowing fire inside. That's the image you see of God in Ezekiel 1 riding his chariot throne to go out to his people and help them in their time of need. It's like Jesus getting angry at Lazarus' death. God is angry at David's enemies, at David's calamity, at David's pain, even at David's sin. Verses 14 and 15, from his presence come thunder Lightning bolts shoot out 
like arrows from his presence at his enemies and scatter them. In verse 16, the blast of the breath of his nostrils creates a hurricane wind that moves the water of the sea and exposes the bottom of the oceans. Wow. David, really, when did you see all this in your life? Well, he saw it all. Every time he called on God. But this is from heaven's perspective. From earth's perspective, he faced Goliath. He called on the name of the Lord. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And God directed that little pebble into his forehead and dropped the giant. From earth's perspective, that's all that was happening. Or when Saul threw the spear and David eluded him. From earth's perspective, it looked like, hey, David's pretty quick. But from heaven's perspective, God is thundering from heaven, saying to the arrow, go off target, miss him. Saying to David, duck that way and sparing him. Or when Nabal, Nabal is angry at David, right? And he's going to gather his army and destroy him. Then out comes Abigail with gifts of food and drink. What a mercy of God. From heaven's perspective, it's just a lady coming with food. Or from earth's perspective. But from heaven's perspective, smoke is coming out of God's nostrils. Lightning bolts are coming out of his presence against Nabal. You see, remember the servant of Elisha at Dothan when all the Sumerians were coming, thought they're going to destroy us. There's only two of us, Elisha and me. But then the Lord, Elisha said to ask the Lord, open the servant's eyes so he can see. And he opened his eyes to what was happening from a heavenly perspective. And the horses and chariots of fire were surrounding Elisha and the servant. And that's the way it is. When you pray, when you cry to God in your need, when you're stuck and you seek his help, God gets very angry at what's troubling his people. And he rushes to your help and he shakes heaven and earth to do what he wants to do for your safety, your preservation, your salvation, and his glory and the coming of his kingdom. David can see it through the eyes of faith. And he looks back and says, you know, when, that, when I eluded that spear that Saul threw at me, 
I was looking at the direction. I was looking where his hand was. And maybe I even thought afterward, good move, Davy. But whatever he thought at that time, he sees it clearly now. God was thundering from heaven. Thank you, Lord. All praise be to God. It's no different today. This God you meet here in 2 Samuel 22, he shows up again in Revelation 1. The picture of the Lord Jesus Christ standing among the lampstands. Do you remember what he looks like? His eyes are like a flame of fire. His feet like glowing bronze. His voice thundering like Niagara Falls. A sharp sword coming out of his mouth. He's ready. He's fighting for his people. And sometimes he's fighting against us for our good to bring us to repentance. But he's fighting. We have a great savior and powerful and living Some think God is inactive. He's not doing anything. He's passive. I can't see anything going on here. There's just a lady coming with food. (laughs) Be assured, God is moving heaven and earth for his saints, for you when you cry to him. I think of how he did that, right, with... uh, Daniel praying, now that the 70 years were over, can you bring your people back? God shakes heaven and earth and he moves the heart of King Cyrus, the emperor of Persia, to allow the Jews to go back to their homeland. Or Zechariah is praying for Messiah to come and God springs into action and he moves Caesar Augustus to make a demand that people go to their hometown and so Jesus is born in Bethlehem according to prophecy, the Messiah comes. And the early church being persecuted by Herod prays that they'll remain strong and bold to fight against the enemy and the Lord strikes Herod with worms and he dies. That's our God. Or it might be so simple as Nathan the prophet coming to you when you're in your sin. And you should die. And you repent. And God says through Nathan to David, you've sinned, the Lord has forgiven your sin. Well, that was easy. No, it wasn't. He shook heaven and earth to send his son to die on the cross and to rise again to give David that forgiveness. We have an amazing God. So don't be unbelieving and give up on your God when you're in trouble. And don't be proud and think you can do this in your own strength because you're good. Go to your king, crucified and risen from the dead, reigning from heaven, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who's filled with love for you and fury against all that would destroy you. Smoke is coming out of Jesus' nostrils. Really, really. Fire is coming out of his eyes, really. 
That's our savior. That's his powerful love. God is a storm. You remember the story of Rosaria Butterfield? She says, when God answered my prayer to rescue me from my intellectual pride and from my lesbian love, it wasn't all quiet and nice and sweet. No, my conversion was a train wreck as God turned my life upside down to build me back up. What a God, what a Savior. Trust him. Call on him, whatever is killing you. Whatever is destroying you, dragging down your life and making you stuck. Don't stay in it. Don't be so much in love with sin that you prefer that over rescue. Or don't be so angry with God that you prefer running away from him over running to him. Your cry will reach his ears. And then we see thirdly, he saved me. He sent from on high. Verse 17. He took me. And he drew me out of many waters. You see that big hand coming down from heaven scooping him out of the waters that he's drowning in. It's, the word there is Moses. He moses me. Moses means, right, drawn out of the water. As God saved Moses out of the waters of the Nile. He moses me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and haters too mighty for me. They were too much for me by the call on the Lord. And it says, he was my support. But I love verse 20, and he brought me into a broad place. The enemies stuff you into a narrow place or stick you in a corner to destroy your liberty. But God rescues you and he brings you into a wide place where you have freedom to serve the Lord. I think of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, narrowly stuck in the world of hating God and his Christ and then being rescued from that and brought into the broad place of serving the Lord around the world. Isn't that great to be saved by your God and where he put you? But why did he save David? Why did he hear him? Why did he rescue him? It says in verse 20, because he delighted in me. Why did God delight in you? Why did he take pleasure in you and love you, David? And then we have verses 21 through 25, which make us really nervous. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. 
And then he repeats in 25 what he said in 21, the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness and according to my cleanness in your sight. The Lord heard me because I'm righteous. I'm blameless. My hands are clean. I've kept the ways of the Lord. David, are you kidding me? We have just read 10 chapters of junk from David's life. Well, some would say, well, this was written before all that. Doesn't matter. Because there was junk while he was fighting Saul and while he was fighting the Philistines. Think about multiple wives. Think about fleeing to Gath when he shouldn't have. Thinking about, think about rising up against Nabal when he shouldn't have. Plus, the Holy Spirit chose to put this at the end of the story of David. Say this reflects really his whole reign. David, are you kidding me? Cleanness of your hands? Don't you got blood on your hands? You murdered Uriah to cover your adultery with Bathsheba. And you neglected to deal with Amnon when he raped his sister Tamar. What is this? Well, as one author says, this isn't strange doctrine. This is mainstream Christian biblical doctrine. What does James say in the New Testament? James 5, you know it. The fervent prayers of a what? A righteous man is powerful and effective. And when you pray in faith, you're saying to God, I am righteous. So please hear me and answer me. Well, then I'm out. Prayer of a righteous man is effective. I'm out. Wait. Listen to the scriptures. Blameless, says David. I'm blameless. In the Bible, for the saints, that doesn't mean sinless. Righteous. My hands are clean. That doesn't mean sinless. What does it mean? Well, it's a righteousness and a blamelessness and a cleanness in Christ. And the word cleanness of my hands actually comes from a verb meaning to wash my hands. The blood on his hands from Uriah had been washed in the blood of Christ. And we read of that in Psalm 51. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That's what a righteous man is. Not a sinless man. But a sinner who flees to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repenting of his sin. Looking to be forgiven by God in Christ. And then committing his life to following Christ. And then when you fall from that commitment, you flee again to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance. You look for, that is the blameless life. Think of Israel's example in Judges. You know, when Israel turned against the Lord, clung to their idols and did not want to worship God, when, when they cried out, he didn't hear them. But when they threw away their idols and they said, Lord, forgive us, we turn to you, we want to follow you, we want to walk in your ways, we surrender to you, the Lord rushed out to help them. He couldn't 
tolerate their pain any longer, says Judges 10. And we may be assured of the same thing. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the refuge he has provided, when you repent of your sin and your wrongdoing and your self-righteousness, and you run to God in the name of Jesus Christ with washed hands and a washed heart, and you're saying, I'm done with my sin, Lord, He delights in you. Not because you're so good, but because Christ is so good, the one you're leaning on, the one you're resting in, the one you're seeking. He delights in you, and he rewards you, and he helps you, and he saves you, and he brings you to a broad place. So don't cling to your sin. There's no help for you from God then. But cling to his son. Then there's all help for you. All help. And he will elevate you. And we hope to look at that in the rest of 2 Samuel 22, Lord willing, next week. Amen. Let's pray. We call upon your name, O God, because your name is very great, very powerful, very gracious. And sufficient for us. We have no strength in ourselves in all the battles we face against the the devil, the world, and our own flesh. We're weak. But you are mighty. Hold us with your powerful hand. Rescue us from the trouble that we're in right now. Bring us to a spacious place. To the true freedom and joy and life of the Christian and then help us to enjoy that. Lord, we pray that you will come to us in our need and strengthen us for your service. In Jesus' name, amen.